Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes available every Monday morning. The inspiration for this podcast was a desire to write, share, and talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. Together, we can remix all the tapes and unconscious programming which usually trigger us into reactivity, and instead find a new perspective that allows us to live life on life's terms. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform, rate it, review it on Apple Podcasts, or share it with friends. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a small monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I'd like to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Snake River Roasting Company is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They roast award-winning coffees, and their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. I started my day with a cup of their Wonderland Organic Coffee Blend. And if you're ready to fall in love with your coffee, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, snakeriverroastingco.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. I hope you enjoyed the mini-episode I posted this week right before the holiday. I kept thinking about how my own mood and perception shift a bit around this time of year, and I assumed that maybe I wasn't the only one who had some negative associations or difficult feelings come up about the holiday season. No matter what you're going through, or what memories or feelings rise to the surface for you at this time, I want you to know that you are not alone. I may not address every single issue that you're currently navigating, but I do hope that this podcast serves as a consistent reminder that there are other people out there who feel things deeply and are willing to talk about it. And this week, I wanted to talk about something that I notice pops up a bit more around this time of year. Maybe you've experienced it and didn't have a name for it, or maybe you weren't even aware that other people experience it. But today, I am talking about emotional hangovers. And I'm sure that most of us are familiar with the hangovers that occur after excessive drinking or drug use. Your body feels different the next day. You're sluggish kind of exhausted. You feel a little raw, a little beat up, maybe a little tender. Your mind feels kind of foggy and you're not quite sure how you feel about anything and you sort of hate everyone, (laughs) but actually you are kind of wondering if everyone hates you and you mostly just want to lay around in bed and eat fried food and drink water. And it's pretty normalized in society that we crash the next day after this type of behavior. Both the behavior and the crash are normalized as something that we get to do as adults, which is actually kind of weird if you think about it. Now, think about the last time that you had a big emotional blowout fight with someone, or your thoughts and your feelings were triggered and your head was kind of on fire. 
And maybe you are making up a story about what someone else thinks or what you think they think or what you think you know about something that you think that they did. Or think about the last time you engaged in behavior that you knew for a fact you should not have been engaging in. And that could be anything that you know is crossing a boundary for you or for your relationship. I'm not stigmatizing the behaviors, but we all know what we are not supposed to be doing. So that could be anything from infidelity, cheating on your partner, or spending money in a way that you know you're not supposed to be spending it. Anything that puts you into an alarmed state. It could also be trauma, receiving bad news, um, a breakup, or a difficult time at work. And I'm not going to cover every single thing, but you understand where I'm going with this. Something that triggers you emotionally. And following any of these experiences, you might find that you feel different. You feel drained, groggy. Your mind is a little blurry. You feel physically exhausted, even if you haven't exerted yourself. Maybe you're full of regret and melancholy. Maybe even shame. And it almost feels as if you're hungover. You feel kind of jangly. (laughs) You know, like, I don't even know if that word makes sense, but you feel like you're being held together by dental floss. I hope you're relating to what I'm saying, but that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about emotional hangovers. And I wanted to talk about them because aside from 12-step groups or therapy sessions, there's no real discussion about when, where, how, or why we feel this way or the importance of decompression, building tolerance and using mindfulness to move through them. You know, we as a society tend to label things as either extremely good or extremely bad. And we're constantly shuffling the deck and trying to move all of our emotions immediately over to the very attractive good emotions without using the bad emotions for what they're good for. And they're good for one very important thing, information. Negative emotions provide incredible information and insight into why we are doing what we're doing, what is just under the surface of our feelings, what our unmet needs are, and what we could be doing differently. And I think it's important to talk about how we can trigger our bodies with emotion, through experiences, through thoughts and feelings, the same way that we can trigger them with drugs or alcohol. Something that you'll hear a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous is, don't pick up the first drink. And in Al-Anon, or Adult Children of Alcoholics groups, the saying shifts into, don't pick up the first think. Because the way we think can be as intoxicating as a substance, and it can take us on just as wild of a ride. But we're not really talking about it. 
because it's deemed as thinking, which is positive, healthy, good for us, and necessary. But what happens when we cross some kind of invisible line and our thinking takes us on an emotional roller coaster? Now, as I say that, you may not immediately be able to identify that in your own life currently. But let's take a step back because I know that some of us grew up in homes where the person in power, whether an older sibling or a parent, regularly experienced both emotional blackouts and hangovers. And that can look like someone saying things like, that never happened. I don't remember that. You're always exaggerating. You're so dramatic. And they say these things when you try to bring up something that they've said or done. And it's almost like they blacked it out. Now, are they lying to us? Or have their emotions tricked them and triggered them so much that they weren't actually physically present in a way that they could be accountable and conscious for their thoughts, feelings, words, and behaviors? Maybe they said and did things that were abusive in their emotional rages. And then they can barely remember what happened the next day. And if we were children in that situation, we were almost forced to just adapt as a survival mechanism. And what happens in these situations is that we internalize some of their messages and we begin to perceive this as a healthy and normalized way to experience and express emotions. This becomes a regular way to communicate with other people. We begin to maybe think that everyone walks on eggshells in close or intimate relationships. Maybe we begin to identify with the aggressor and unconsciously integrate some of these behaviors into our own lives. And if no one modeled self-regulation for us, if no one showed us how to implement emotional tools during moments when we're triggered, how do we learn about it? Why is it just a given? These are sometimes complex interventions that we need to use through trial and error. So if no one showed us how to do that, where did we learn how to do it? I actually worked with someone once who would often experience this type of emotional roller coaster. And it was very strange to watch them move through this and they would black out emotionally and then be hungover for about a week after one of their explosive episodes. And I think that it was really challenging because they wouldn't remember the things that they had said in the moment. And they would deflect and say, you know, you're manipulating me. I would have never said that. I would have never done that. And the entire staff were looking at each other like, you actually said, there's five of us who heard you say that. Do I think this is a terrible person? No. But do I think that they really struggled with these emotional blackouts and hangovers? Absolutely. And I don't think it's up to us to have to deal with it or suffer through it the way some of us did as children. I think as adults, we have to find a new pathway. For me, it was a very unsafe work environment and for many other people as well, which is why I had such high turnover. 
And for this other person who was engaging in this behavior, they were constantly confused. They couldn't understand why everyone was always lying to them about their own behavior and then always resigning. And I bring that up because as we experience it in childhood and as we experience it in adulthood, it's very similar to being around someone who's actively abusing substances. But it's the socially acceptable version of it, right? Because it's emotions, it's thoughts, it's feelings. But if it's causing this much disruption and dysfunction in daily relationships, work environments, family dynamics, it's really important to look at because you're creating an environment where people feel unsafe around you and where you are not trusting your experience of reality. So that's why we're talking about this, not because we're shaming people who experience it. I think a lot of us experience these emotional hangovers. We're just not encouraged to talk about it or take responsibility for it. A few years ago, I remember reading about a team of New York University scientists that found that emotional experiences can induce physiological and internal brain states that persist for long periods of time after the emotional events have ended. Their study appears in the journal Nature Neuroscience, and it also shows that this emotional hangover influences how we attend to and remember future experiences. Lila Devachi, an associate professor in NYU's Department of Psychology and Center for Neuroscience, and senior author of the study, said, how we remember events is not just a consequence of the external world we experience, but is also strongly influenced by our internal states. And these internal states can persist in color future experiences. Emotion is a state of mind. These findings make clear that our cognition is highly influenced by preceding experiences and specifically, that emotional brain states can persist for long periods of time. And I bring up this study because it highlights some topics that are so important, yet rarely openly discussed. And those are emotional sobriety, emotional intelligence, and emotional agility. And some of you may remember that I spoke about emotional sobriety at length in episode two. And if you haven't listened to that episode, obviously I highly recommend it. (laughs) But as a brief refresher, emotional sobriety is the ability to meet calamity and opportunity with serenity. And emotional intelligence, otherwise known as emotional quotient or EQ, is the ability to understand, use, and manage your own emotions in positive ways, to relieve stress, communicate effectively, empathize with others, overcome challenges, and diffuse conflict. And it's usually expressed through self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. Emotional agility is a process that enables us to navigate life's twists and turns with self-acceptance, clear-sightedness, and an open mind. 
The process isn't about ignoring difficult emotions and thoughts. It's about holding those emotions and thoughts loosely, facing them courageously and compassionately, and then moving past them to ignite change in your life. And I'll probably do an in-depth episode on these three topics next week, but for now, we can probably all agree that to some extent, these skills are pretty beneficial in our lives, in our personal lives, in our professional lives. So how do they coincide with emotional blackouts and emotional hangovers? Now, we may have only had these experiences a few times in our lives, maybe brought on by loss or traumatic events. Or maybe we find ourselves experiencing them fairly regularly. And if we're in that cycle, we can quickly become used to the roller coaster of emotions that are happening, and we can normalize it and become drained by it and adapt to it all in equal measure. And as the study I mentioned points out, if we find ourselves experiencing these emotional hangovers on a regular basis, they are also distorting our perception of experiences, thoughts, feelings, and relationships outside of the triggering events. Now, I'm not bringing that up to shame anyone, and I I really want to be clear about that because I know that sometimes when we're hearing something that really does apply to us, we immediately kind of shut down in shame. Not shaming anyone for being a passionate or expressive or emotional individual. I am specifically talking about thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that impair our functioning. Maybe no one even knows that it's happening to us, but we know that something's going on inside of us. Now, one example that might sound fairly benign, but can really damage our relationships and our self-perception, is when we create stories about other people or our relationship dynamic. We've all done it at some point. (laughs) Maybe we're still doing it. But if we find ourselves continually doing that, creating stories and letting that run the show, that's something to look at. Now, how does our experience with creating stories move us into spaces of emotional blackouts and emotional hangovers? And I'll give an example. Maybe we meet someone new and we perceive some kind of power imbalance. Maybe we think that we like this other person more than they like us. Or we are afraid of being hurt, being vulnerable with them, or being rejected. Maybe we've had difficult experiences in relationships in the past. And as much as we want to be in relationship with this new person, we can't help but hear that little voice in our head that begins telling us a story about this person, their intentions, how they will inevitably hurt us, or they're using us, or manipulating us in some way. And the story begins to gain traction. There's some kind of escalation. We begin to collect evidence. And that's evidence with air quotes around it. (laughs) Maybe we begin to bait the other person or lay traps for them and we're trying to catch them. We become hypervigilant. 
And if we are in this state, we will eventually find evidence that matches what we're looking for, whether it's true or not, because our perception is distorted. Then, maybe there begins to be a wave of anger and self-righteousness that separates us from feelings of hurt or feelings of insecurity. Because those feelings are really intense. Anger and self-righteousness is blinding. Because believing that we are right feels so good and so safe that it's almost euphoric. Anger and self-righteousness can give us a huge rush and we feel lit up. (laughs) It's actually not that far off from the feeling we can get from taking substances. And we can run on that energy for a conversation, an argument, an accusation, maybe a night or a few days. But then eventually it leaves us. And then the hangover hits because we can't maintain that emotional high. Even anger eventually fades away. And then in comes the exhaustion, the shame, the rationalization, the self-loathing, the consideration for someone else's thoughts, feelings, and experiences, their sadness, melancholy, and maybe even a desire to punish ourselves. How would a cycle like that impact our self-esteem and self-perception if it occurred on a regular basis? How would it impact our relationships? As the study from NYU mentioned, these hangovers extend beyond the acute high and crash that begin to color our perception of both things. And now that's just one example. I'm sure you can pause and think of an example that perfectly fits into your own life. And sometimes we rationalize our behavior by saying, well, the other person deserved it. Or anyone would react the way that I did. Or what else was I supposed to do? And I get that. I'm not bringing this up to shame anyone. I have certainly had emotional hangovers myself, but I am bringing it up because it's about introducing some communication and some awareness into our triggers, the things that we allow to control us when we think that we are uncontrollable, but there's something that really does have a grip on us. And it's not about hating ourselves for it. That's almost the easy way out. It's about sitting with it and just being present and saying, let's see what sets me off. Which areas of my life trigger these highs and lows? And what does the eventual crash do to me and to my relationships? And as always, I like to encourage asking questions and really sitting with the answers and maybe returning to them time and again. And so as we're talking about emotional blackouts and hangovers, a really important question is, what is my pattern? And then what is my highest ideal? And that's an important question because sometimes we don't stop to think about that. We're just out here in the emotional wild west, just rushing from experience to experience 
But how would our experience shift if we crafted a vision of our highest emotional ideal? A way to communicate with other people that we constantly walk towards. A way to navigate emotional landmines and tripwires that would leave us feeling empowered versus depleted. Because it's not about getting it right the first time or even every time, but it is about moving in the right direction with awareness, intention, and the ability to be responsible for our impact. It's the areas of our lives that we refuse to look at or the character defects in ourselves that we refuse to acknowledge that will consistently and loudly make themselves known. It's the muscles that we refuse to develop that will consistently be strained and pulled. And it's the tools that we refuse to learn how to use that will constantly provide us with opportunities for learning, which is a really nice way to talk about these emotional situations, whether it's the blackout, the trigger, or the hangover. And that's why I wanted to do an episode on this. And I always encourage people to look at how they were raised, their home of origin, the family dynamics that they grew up in, and maybe ask yourself, how did the people who raised me navigate emotional experiences? Were they yelling? Were they lashing out? Were they taking accountability? What emotional tools were they using to diffuse situations or to regulate their emotions? And what tools am I currently using? (laughs) You know, what is my expectation about how the people around me are supposed to either deal with me or hold space for me or communicate with me? And am I coming up against a brick wall in every relationship? Or am I only successful in relationships where I'm completely crushing and dominating other people? And is that what I want? So these are some good questions. I could probably think of like 45 more, but I'm going to leave you with those to start with. And that's why I wanted to do an episode on this because there are a lot of questions and it's a journey. I'm not going to get to the bottom of everything today and figure you out, but it's about being willing to look at what we do, how we think, how we feel and what consequences show up in our lives. So let's talk about some of the things that we can do to change how we move through these emotional blackouts and emotional hangovers. I'd like to talk about decompression, grounding, accountability, and creating new habits and tools. The first thing is decompression. And it's not really something we're encouraged to do. Just Think about your work environment, your relationships, your family. It's kind of inconvenient when we need to decompress after or during stressful situations, right? It throws people off their path. They're just moving through their day and they don't understand why we're having a difficult time with something and we need to reset. The culture we're in sort of dictates that whenever we have a difficult emotion, we need to double down on those emotions and muscle through and either win the argument or take up space through dominance and being right. 
And I bring up decompression because we see the benefits in nature all around us. That's something animals do very regularly. Even plants and crops do that. Decompression is important. And even though it is a little stigmatized, I actually think it's a pretty advanced emotional tool. And we all decompress in certain ways, right? But take a moment to think about the ways in which you're currently doing it. How do you self-soothe and move through difficult emotions? Now, do these things really bring your nervous system into alignment? Or do they numb you and distract you? And is there something that you could consciously incorporate into your decompression routine for future use that would benefit you, not just block you? And that segues into grounding. And that is finding something that anchors your body, mind, and spirit in moments when the roller coaster starts going and you can kind of feel your thoughts picking up speed and you begin creating that story about this other person, place, or thing. And this could be something, like this could be breathing exercises or moving your body or listening to music, writing, just anything that works for you to put a little distance between you and your thoughts and bring you back to earth. Now, accountability can be a challenging thing to do because there's so much shame that we move through. Sometimes there's shame that we're not even aware of. And as much as I personally cringe my way through doing this, I know that accountability helps me to communicate with other people who have walked through the same things that I'm struggling with. And finding people that you can share your struggles, your losses, and wins with is more than just creating community. It's about creating accountability. And that sort of brings us back to the question I asked before about finding our highest ideal and maybe sharing that with another person or a group and saying, this is something I am consciously and continually walking towards. And I really want your support in that. Now, the last thing on my list is creating new habits and emotional tools. And I've heard a lot of interesting things said about addictions, whether they are referring to our substance abuse or our emotional addictions. And there's this common belief that if something is harming you, or making your life unmanageable, then you should just stop and all will be fine. You know, if you could just self-will yourself to immediately stop what you're doing, you'd be great. And then you could do it in little increments the way other people around you are doing it and you'd be totally fine. Now, if you've ever tried this method, you know how that story usually ends. So I'm not even going to dive into that. Instead, I invite you to visualize yourself as a wheel of energy. And I know for some of you that's like super woo-woo and you're like, I'm a wheel of energy. But stop for a moment and really just visualize yourself as this wheel of energy that's moving. And you're constantly moving forward. And this wheel that you've become does not stop turning until the moment you die. 
So it's not about finding a stick to shove into the spokes of your energetic wheel. It's about finding new pathways to replace the old pathways and continually bringing yourself back there, even when you stray, even when you find yourself you know, moving down this old path that just didn't serve you. It's about consistently redirecting that energy into a new direction. And that's why 12-step programs always stress the importance of being of service. Because in doing this, we get out of self. We're getting out of our old pathway and getting into working with others and creating new habits that will then become familiar emotional muscle memory to us. So if your old habit was to ride the emotional roller coaster until you crash and burn and destroy all your relationships and then you almost get high on feeling terrible about yourself, well, what's a new pathway that you could create? If new relationships bring this out in you, could you develop a new habit to support you in the early stages of a relationship? If being around your family does this, could you develop a new coping strategy that would support your mental and emotional health before, during, and after your visit? And again, those were just a few examples. I'm sure that we all have different areas of our own lives where these things show up. It's never about trying to diagnose someone through a podcast or pathologizing us or shaming us for the way that we are coping with things. Anytime I talk about these things, it's about bringing us into deeper awareness and connection with who we are, what we're doing, and offering some options to just grow and learn and develop new emotional tools. And me bringing up these topics in these episodes is in no way saying I am the be-all, end-all, expert voice on any topic. We're just creating conversation here, and I always encourage you to continue your own research. If I talk about something that inspires you, I promise you, I learned about it from somewhere else, and I want you to do the same. And I encourage you to continue to explore any area that really lights you up, anything that inspires you, anything that triggers you, and start diving into it. Not as a way to weaponize something or shame yourself, but to begin to learn and grow and expand your knowledge about something. I mean, I've said it before, the greatest love story of your entire life is the one you have with yourself. And you owe it to yourself to begin to learn more about who you are and why you do the things you do and what you're capable of. Because the limiting stories that we have that we tell ourselves, you know, the patterns we find that we're stuck in, there is more to us than that. I promise. So until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account and join me on Instagram at Love Letters and Mixtapes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider making a small monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.